It's our great privilege tonight to have Dr. Ligon Duncan uh, to bring us the word. Uh, Dr. Duncan was pastor of 17 years, I believe, at uh, First Presbyterian Church in uh, Jackson, Mississippi, and now is the chancellor of uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, seminaries, maybe. Um, they're expanding. And, uh, and um, so, brother, it's so good to have you with us, and looking forward as you open the word of God this evening. If you have your Bibles, I'd invite you to turn with me to 2 Thessalonians. We're going to look at two verses right at the end of that little letter. Paul ends the letter with a double benediction, with a, with a little sentence in between indicating that he is the author of the letter, the composer of the letter. It is a joy to be with you tonight. And uh, I think the last time I was here, the OPC General Assembly was occurring in Grand Rapids and this congregation was very much a part of hosting all the folks. I think I sat right back over there with Chad Van Dixhorn and, uh, and a whole host of my OP friends uh, during some of the services and uh, so enjoyed that and I deeply appreciate your pastor and uh, his opening the pulpit to me tonight and I hope to give you some encouragement. Um, where do we go for peace when our hearts are breaking? That is a that is a very important question to the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul knows that through the incarnation, life, death, resurrection, and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ, we objectively have peace with God if we are resting and trusting in Christ alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel. But he is also concerned that we experience in the Christian life the subjective consequence of that objective peace that Jesus has purchased for us with his life and blood. That is, Paul wants us in the Christian life to experientially know an inner repose and tranquility no matter what is happening in our lives. You just, you just heard heartbreaking words from your pastor about fellow Christians serving in the gospel who've lost a two-year-old child. And you, you want for them to know the peace of God that passes understanding. It's very interesting that Paul twice in his writings says that he wants you to have something that passes understanding. Do you remember where those are? In Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, he says that he wants you to know a love that is beyond your understanding. He wants you to know the love of Christ which is beyond comprehension, he says. Now that's clearly the language of experience. He knows that every Christian is the recipient and benefactor of the love of Christ, but a lot of Christians struggle to feel it, to know it, to experience it. And so Paul says to the Ephesians in Ephesians 3, 14 to 19, I'm praying that you will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now he's speaking to Christians. He's not speaking to non-Christians. He's speaking to Christians saying that he prays for them to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then in Philippians 4, 7, he says that the peace of God that passes understanding will guard your hearts. In both cases, 
Paul is clearly talking about Christian experience. And I do want to say tonight, if, if, if you're here and you don't trust in Christ alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel, you, you can't have, apart from trust in Christ, the kind of peace that Paul is going to talk about here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. And look, every Christian in this room wants you to have that. <laughs> I want you to know that we've been where you are if you're not trusting in Christ. And it is a peaceless place. But Christ will have you if you will trust Him. And so you, you must have peace with God through Christ before you can have the kind of peace that Paul is talking about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 16 and 18. And if that doesn't make sense to you, I know that Pastor Van Dyke and I and the elders would love to talk with you about that afterwards. And we'll be milling around. If you want to have that conversation, we will stay till the cows come home to have that conversation with you tonight. But let's give attention to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, just verses 16 and 18, the two benedictions at the end of the letter. This is the Word of God. Hear it. Now, may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And thus ends this reading of God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. May he write its eternal truth upon all our hearts. I was, I was talking with some pastors this afternoon, and, and, and we were talking about habits on airplanes. And uh, we were talking about a mutual friend of mine who's a Brazilian Presbyterian and an amazing evangelist. If you sit still for 30 seconds, you're going to hear the gospel from Elias Medeiros. And he is particularly good about sharing the gospel on airplanes. And I, I must confess, there are times when my introverted self just wants to curl up in my cocoon and be left alone on an airplane. And a few years ago, I was flying into Columbia, South Carolina to preach for Sinclair Ferguson at First Presbyterian Church in Columbia. It was a Saturday, about the middle of the day, and I was flying into Columbia, and I was going to preach on Sunday morning and Sunday evening and teach Sunday school. And um, I was sitting on the plane, and there was this fellow looking, sitting next to me looking like he wanted to talk. And so I was sort of averting eye contact and reading my book, and hoping, it's a short flight from Atlanta to Columbia. You know, in, in, in the South, if you fly in Delta, no matter where you go, you're going through Atlanta. The joke in the South is, when you die and go to heaven, you go through Atlanta. So I you know, had flown from Jackson to Atlanta, and then I was going to fly on to Columbia. It's only about a 30, 35-minute flight, but I still was just sort of trying to avoid conversation. And uh, so this fellow started talking. And... Um, he, he was talking in such a way that I had to give him answers. And um, I thought, oh boy, this is going to turn into a conversation. And um, 
about four questions in the conversation, he said to me a question that I thought, aha, this is my chance to get out of a conversation. He, he said to me, what do you do? Now, normally, you know, your pastor will tell you this, normally one of the best conversation shutdowns that you can have is to answer, well, I'm a pastor. I mean, that shuts down 90% of conversations with people on the street. The minute they find you're a pastor, they are done with the conversation. But when I said, I'm a pastor, uh, he looked like a dog looking for a bone. I mean, I could see it in his face. It was like he had found the person he wanted to talk to. And he, he began pouring his heart out to me. Didn't know me from Adam's house cat, but he was pouring his heart and his life out to me. And it's a sad story. He, he said, I, he, was a, he was a man that traveled as a salesman, so he was on the road a lot, flying a lot. You know, I could look down and see his three million mile status uh, tag on his uh, suitcase. And he said, I talked with my wife on the phone Saturday week ago, so that was a, a week before, and she was deeply troubled, but she couldn't tell me why. And she called me back on Thursday night this week, and, and we had agreed that when, when I got back into town, we would talk. But she called me back on Thursday night this week and said, I, I've got to tell you this, I'm having an affair. And it turns out that she was having an affair with his best friend. Now, th this man was a member of an evangelical church. He was a member of a, of a Bible-believing church. And um, so he's flying back into Columbia, South Carolina to sit down with his wife and have an unbelievable... And it was interesting that he was not angry. He was, he was crushed. He was bewildered. He was scared. Um, he was heartbroken. He didn't know what to think or do about that situation. And, and we just spent, and, and by the way, after he pours this out, I feel like the worst human being on the planet that I did not want to have a conversation with this man. You know, and I, and I realized, okay, the Lord put you there, buddy, to have a conversation with this man. And, uh, and, and mostly I listened, but I tried to point him to things that would give him strength and comfort because he, 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 he wanted to be married. He, he loved his wife. He, he, he spent time talking about what, there, there have to have been ways that I've failed my wife for this to happen. It was, it was, he was not accusatory about it. It was very, very self-reflective and, and heartbreaking. But one of the things that hit me is what, where does a Christian go for peace in a situation like that? And the Bible has not left us without an answer. Jesus has not left you an answer. And I, and every single one of us have, have things in our lives that deeply unsettle and distress us. It can be all sorts of different things. It can be, it can be things like we heard in the prayer tonight about a family that's lost a child. It can be a lot of other things as well. Where do you go for peace? Paul is very concerned that we know the answer to that as believers. And, and tonight, I want to look at this passage and I want to show you that the way that Jesus gives you peace is through truth, faith, presence, and grace. 
The way that Jesus gives you peace is through truth, faith, presence, and grace. Let's look at the passage before us. Look especially at verse 16. Notice that Paul emphasizes that only the Lord of peace can give you peace. And he can give it to you at all times, in all ways, and in all places. So there is nowhere in this world and no situation in this world where the Lord Jesus can't give you peace. He is able to give you peace in all times, in all ways, in all places. Listen to verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. Paul's very serious about that blessing, that that beatitude, that benediction that he's pronouncing on Christians, that we could receive peace from the Lord of peace himself. Now, it's very interesting. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, speaks of the God of peace. Here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul speaks of the Lord of peace. Now, normally when Paul says God, he has in mind the Father. And when he says Lord, he has in mind the Son. And so from this we see that Paul especially has in mind Jesus as the Lord of peace. And that's very appropriate because we know that Isaiah, in Isaiah 9, 6, speaks of the Messiah as who? The Prince of Peace. He is the one who brings peace. Now let's back up and think for a second about the Old Testament idea of peace. When God spoke of peace to Israel, he meant their total well-being. When, when the word shalom, when, when the priests are to give the blessing uh, and give you peace, shalom, it means total well-being. That God in His providence is providing for you everything you need for your well-being and you are able to rest and trust and repose in that provision because you know that your God cares for you. It's like... His eye is on the sparrow, and I know he cares for me. So it's a a resting in God's providence, no matter what the circumstances are. And Jesus, the Lord of priests, the Prince of Peace, is able to give this peace. And Paul says he's able to do it in all times, in all ways, in all places. How? Well, first of all, through truth and faith. You remember in John 16, verse 33, in the upper room, it's the night of Jesus' betrayal, the night before the crucifixion. It's so interesting, by the way, that he spends that whole long discourse recorded for us in the Gospel of John from chapter 13 on, He spends that whole discourse trying to do what? Comfort the disciples. Isn't isn't that remarkable? 
If ever a human being had the right to say, you know what, I've got a few things on my mind right now, and you all are just going to have to take care of yourselves for the next few hours, it was Jesus that night. You know, he said, you know, I am trying to prepare to save the world. And the whole time he's doing what? He's thinking about his disciples' hearts. So he says things to them like John 16, 33. These things I have said to you so that you may have peace. In the world, you have tribulation. In me, you have peace. Take courage. I have overcome the world. Isn't that remarkable? John has already told us that when Jesus entered Jerusalem that week, knowing what was coming, his heart was deeply troubled. And yet here on the night of his betrayal, his concern is for the hearts of his disciples. That's the kind of Savior you have. He cares about your hearts. He wants you to have peace. But listen to what he says. These things I have said to you so that you may have peace. What's he talking about? He's talking about the truth that he has been teaching them. The truth that he has been teaching them is so that they will have peace. Everything your pastors preach, everything your pastors teach is designed by God to accrue to your peace. That's why Bible preaching is so important. That's why doctrine is so important because it's vital to our experience of peace. These things I have said that you may have peace. Have you ever wondered, Jesus, why did you decide to talk about the things that you decided to talk about in the upper room on the night of your crucifixion? Why are you talking about the doctrine of the Trinity? Isn't that a little bit abstract? No, it's vital for you to have peace. Why are you talking about the doctrine of election? It's vital for you to have peace. Think about it. Jesus in the upper room says to the disciples, you did not choose me, I chose you. Now, why do you think the doctrine of election was so important to those disciples? Because every single one of them was going to fail him. Not just Judas. Not just Peter. Matthew says they all fled. So in his hour of need, all his disciples failed. And echoing in their ears after he restores them, they remember him saying, you didn't choose me. I chose you. I told you you were going to do this. I told you you were going to fail me. I told you you were going to hand me over. I told you this. And I loved you anyway. Just, just like we sang, did you, did you hear the pastor's words? Before the foundation of the world, the Lord Jesus had already set his love on his people. And he knew that we would fail. And he loved us anyway. How important is that for peace? Very. So all the things that Jesus is teaching, is that those things are designed, if we understand them, by the Spirit to work peace in us. 
Now, how does that work? Well, it, it, it only works with faith. You have to put your belief in God, your trust in God. You have to believe His Word. Think of what Jesus says in John 14, 1. Let not your hearts be troubled. What's the next sentence? Believe in God, believe also in me. Do you hear that? He doesn't want his disciples' hearts to be troubled. He doesn't want your hearts to be troubled. How does that happen? You've got to believe in me. You've got to believe in God. You've got to believe in me. Faith. So he teaches truth that he wants you to believe, and then he wants you to trust him. And what's the result? Peace. That, that's one of the ways that the Lord gives you peace. He teaches you the truth, and by the Spirit, He works faith in you to trust in Him and to believe that truth, and it enables you to repose in His providence no matter what is happening in your world. No wonder Peter, who was afraid to answer his true identity to a servant girl in the courtyard on the night of Jesus' betrayal could stand up before thousands just a few weeks later and proclaim the gospel at the risk of his life. That, that's, that's a person who's gotten peace. No wonder he said what he said in the passage that the pastor read tonight. So there's the first thing. Only the Lord of peace can give you real peace. He can give it to you at all times, in all ways, in all places. And he does it through truth and faith. Second, look at verse 16b. There's another little part, and it may look to you like a little throwaway phrase. Um, the Lord be with you all. You know, now in the, in the South, sometimes people will say, the Lord bless you real good. And that, you know, it sounds like one of those throwaway blessings. Do not miss this phrase. This is really, really important to Paul. The Lord be with you all. What, what he's saying is that peace is only possible because of the presence of Christ. And the peace of Christians is the presence of the Lord. And Paul understands that. The, I, I think one of the uh, one of the most sad and uh, just wrong passages in, in the Newton, not wrong in the sense of being untrue, but wrong in that shouldn't have happened in the whole of the New Testament is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. You remember that verse? Paul says at his first defense, before the, the Roman court in the shadow of the palace of Nero in Rome, at his first offense, he says, no one stood by me, but all deserted me. Now, do, you, do, you, do you understand what that means? From, from the time that Paul had become an apostle, it was his dream to testify to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the very highest place in the Roman Empire, even in the courts of Nero. 
And here he is. Finally, he's got his chance. He's going to be able to go into a courtroom and bear witness to the Lord Jesus Christ in the high court of Rome. And when the day comes, and this is the culminating point of the ministry of the Apostle Paul, no other Christian is with him. Everybody else is scared. They're, they're scared to be associated with him. So here he is. Paul is in this room by himself. No one is with him. By the way, it reminds you a little bit of his Savior on the cross. All fled. And th what that means is, unless somebody was converted in that courtroom, when we get to heaven, the only human being who will be able to tell us the story of what happened that day will be Paul. Because he was, humanly speaking, absolutely alone but what does he say in the next verse but the lord stood by me so humanly speaking he had been completely abandoned by his compatriots but he was profoundly aware that he was not alone the lord was standing with him i i met a a turkish student at puritan reform seminary uh friday night who is a friend of Fikret Bocet. Some of you know Fikret. Fikret is a Presbyterian minister in Izmir, Turkey. Um, he's a graduate of Westminster Seminary in California. He's in Izmir. You know what that is? That's Smyrna. That's, that's one of the seven churches. And there's a Presbyterian congregation in Izmir today preaching the gospel. When Fikret was a young convert to Christianity, and there were probably less than 100 Christians in Turkey. He was arrested by the Turkish secret police, along with several of his friends. And um, they were held in captivity for several days and tortured, tortured with shock treatments and all sorts of things. And Fikret, um, I met Fikret at the World Reform Fellowship in Brazil. I, we just sort of happened to bump into one another, and I got to hear his story, and it was amazing. But one of the things he told me was that the day that the police came in to interrogate them the first time, the police had a plant among their little group. In other words, they had put somebody who was a, a false believer, who was an informant for the police amongst their little group, and they interrogated him first to try and break the will of the other Christians. And so they ask him to renounce Christ and to say the shahada, to say um, there is one God, Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet, the, the confession of faith of Islam. And of course, that guy, through very little interrogation, renounced Christ and professed his allegiance to Islam as a way of trying to get the other men to do the same. And uh, when Fikret was, he was the next guy to be interrogated. He, he, the, the policeman was getting ready to ask him questions and he could out of the corner of the eye see one of his colleagues putting his hand over his mouth like this as if to say, don't do it, Fikret. Don't, don't renounce Christ. Stay strong. And Fikret turned around to see which one of his friends it was, and nobody was there. All his friends were on the other side of the room. At that point, Fikret became terrified. Not 
of the secret police, but he, he felt profoundly aware of the presence of the Lord with him. And he interrupted his interrogator and he said, you do not know who is in this room. And at that point, he said, up until that point, he had been terrified of the pain that he was going to experience in torture. And from that point on, he was terrified of the judgment that these men were going to be under. In other words, he was profoundly aware of the presence of the Lord with him. The Lord had not abandoned him. That sense of God's presence can give you peace anywhere, in anything, at any time. And Paul understood that kind of peace and he wanted Christians to have that. Our Lord and Savior said this to us, I will be with you always. And he meant it. He doesn't duck out when the lights go out and and the world is falling down around your ears, and the floor is shifting, and the earth is quaking. He's right there with his people. So Paul, Paul says, you want to you have peace? Know that Jesus will not leave you or forsake you. He will be right there with you. Um, an eccentric Christian author, who he's, he's rather hit or miss, said something really good one time. I'll share it with you. Um, he says, here is the world, beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can separate us. I am next to you. I am for you. I love you. Jesus says that to every Christian. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Not height, nor depth, nor heaven, nor hell. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. And, and a lot of the times we just need to stop and breathe and realize that he is with his people. And he will not leave us or forsake us. So only when you're aware of the presence of the Lord are you able to have this peace which passes understanding, which guards your heart. Third, there can be no peace without God's grace. There can be no peace without God's grace. God's forgiving favor poured out on us, though we are undeserving, in the extravagantly expensive gift of God's own Son who died in our place that we might be forgiven and freed and finally alive and might have peace in every circumstance. Do you, do you realize, look at, look at again how Paul's last benediction, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Paul is deadly serious about grace because he understands that he is a recipient of it. I mean, you, you did not have to convince Paul that God was a God of grace and that Jesus is a Savior full of grace. Why? 
Because Paul knows that if God weren't, he would be a greasy spot on the desert floor somewhere south of Damascus. Right? Paul knows that I, God, I deserve for God to condemn me right there when I was on my way to Damascus to do what? Persecute Christians. And instead, he saved me. And he called me to be a witness to Christ and to serve the brethren that I was going to persecute. You did not have to convince Paul of God's grace. He was profoundly aware that he was a recipient of it. And so when he says to, to the Thessalonians, the grace of the Lord be with you all, he really means it. In other words, there can be no peace without God's grace. Paul's ardent desire is that the Thessalonian church, and you and me, struggling as we are, oppressed by persecution from without, plagued by division within, would know the peace of Christ, the peace that he alone is able to impart. Now, how does he do that? It is, it is unbelievable what the Lord does in order to give you this peace. He's the Prince of Peace. How is it that the Prince of Peace is able to give you peace? Because the Prince of Peace gave up his peace so that he might give you peace. You know, when the, um, when the people of God came to worship God in the Old Testament, and they came to bless God, God told Moses to tell Aaron, to tell the priests, don't let them go away without a blessing. When they come to bless me, don't let them go away without receiving my blessing. You know, the, the whole idea is you cannot outbless God. He will outbless you every time. You come to bless him, he'll bless you more. And so you remember he said, when they come at the end of their time with me, then you tell them this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And in order for us to receive and experience that peace, Jesus experienced the opposite. If I could reverently put it this way in the in the councils of the eternal covenant of redemption, the, the son says to the father, I want to give them peace, father. And the father says, my son, you know what that will mean. And the son says, yes, father, I do. And I want to give them peace. And so instead of hearing the Lord bless you and keep you, the son on the cross hears the Lord curse you and cut you off. And instead of hearing the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Son hears the Lord frown upon you and give you only condemnation and justice for a violated covenant. And instead of hearing the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace, 
Instead of hearing the Lord look upon you like a happy father receiving his child to come home, his countenance beams, the Lord turn his face away from you and give you distress and affliction and judgment so that we may have peace. You know, the the Apostle Paul in Romans 9 says that he so wants his people, the Jewish people, to come to faith in Christ that he could wish himself to be accursed. Jesus didn't just wish himself to be accursed for his people. Paul says in Galatians 3, he became a curse for us. Why? So that we might have peace with God, peace with our brothers and sisters, and a peace that passes understanding at all times in every way, in every place. God wants that for you. Believe his word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we we need the peace that passes understanding to guard our hearts. And this is Paul's benediction on us that the Lord of peace himself would give it to us at all times in every way. May we, by faith, by trust, by grace, receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's sing.